Welcome to Raising Connections. I'm your host, Ray Shan Mayer. This is the program where we talk about all of the connections between your critters, companions, commerce, and agriculture. This morning, as always, we have a fun and interesting guest. You've heard this person before, and today we're doing something a little bit different. If you've been watching social media, you know that Stephen King Fairy Tales is a book that we're going to be reviewing. Tim Mayer is here to help me do this. Welcome, Tim. Thanks, Rashan. It's always good to be here. We see a lot of each other, don't we? Yes, we do, <laughs> as a matter of fact. So this was a book that you wanted for last Christmas, Stephen King's Fairy Tales. And I went, and I got it, and I wrapped it, and you unwrapped it, and you read it, and I'm thinking, oh, Pet Cemetery, Yuck. Yeah, Stephen King is a quite interesting writer because, you know, a lot of people associate him with the horror tales of Pet Cemetery, and it's like, who who wants to talk about that? But he's got such a broad repertoire, and, you know, the story behind Fairy Tale is he had always thought about just writing a book about a completely different world. And when COVID hit and everything went into lockdown, he actually sat down and created this world. I know after reading it, I convinced you you needed to read it as well. Now you have a perspective as well. I do. And this blew me away. So as a kennel owner and operator at Mariah Bell, I don't want to read about pet cemeteries. And someone who's always battled a weight problem, I don't want to read about thinner and all those things. And I don't want to read about the running man. I just don't. But the one thing that Stephen King has written that I truly respect and I have read multiple times, and as an author of books, it made me really think, and that was his book on writing. Yeah, very, very interesting. I've heard excerpts of it. I've not actually read that particular book, but I've listened to interviews of him talking about that book and his writing style and essentially how his mind works. Yeah, from a a literary perspective, absolutely genius. One of the points that he made in there was, I'm not writing literature. I'm writing books for fun. I'm writing books that let you escape from doing laundry. He's an entertainer. Yes. At the end of the day, he wants to entertain people. And a good story is his way of doing that. Tell a compelling story to otherwise engage people and their minds and let them have a good time while listening or reading the book. One of the things that came out of that book, and I'm sure some of our listeners are doing this, one thing that in his unwriting book he talked about was don't give too many details because what you're seeing in your mind's eye and the experiences you have that make this real to you may not be the experiences or what I see in my mind's eye that make it real to me. Exactly. A good storyteller, a good author will paint a picture and essentially allow a movie to play through the reader's mind while they're doing it. And the movie that's played in your mind, although it will be substantially similar to the one that plays through my mind, you're going to paint different details based on your past and experience. And if an author gets too graphic or provides too many details, then your mind has nothing to fill in and it might as well just go to sleep at that point. Right. And I read those books, actually. I get kind of bogged down into what was the third button color on the fourth vest of the sixth character. And I mean, I don't know. I don't know. What do I care? (laughs) Right. Right. Why am I not even wearing the vest? Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. The one thing that really got me about this book, just from the cover of it, it was not what I expected. Because to me, when I looked at the cover of this, and I think this is the double entendre 
from the cover. I thought this was a dragon's eye. Yeah, it's funny because when you know I unwrapped the, the Christmas gift and looked at the actual cover for the first time and knew about the story, yeah, I thought the same thing. I'm like, oh, I didn't expect this to be about dragons. But reading the book, you will get a much better sense of what the cover means. And I promise I won't do this again. But like I said, I really am not a Stephen King fan. It's not my genre. And I'm looking at this and I'm going, oh, that's like in Trek, when Dragon opens their eye the first time and all you see is the eye. I think, oh, why am I doing this to myself? And it's a well. It is. It is a deep well. Or a or portal. Or a portal, as he describes it in the book. That's the entrance to this other world. Yet, and I know we're going to skip way ahead and then way back, having read it now... And really not being a Stephen King fan, this is not a normal Stephen King book. No, but this shows the breadth of what he's able to write because he never wanted to be known as the horror writer. So he he continually pushed his boundaries and played around with very different types of stories. And this was one that, you know, he had told himself his whole life. He wanted to create his own world that doesn't exist anywhere else except in his book. And he did that. The cover, I'm going back to this one because the cover of it, by the time you get to the end and read about Gog Magog. Oh, I loved Gog Magog. The well and the dragon eye and the whole piece of it. Finally, I went, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, well, that's interesting because, you know, I know, obviously, you're not a big Stephen King fan you know, other than his book on writing itself, but I had finished his tome of The Stand probably about a year before this book. And there's there's some similarities and some parallels, which I won't get into here. But, you know, essentially, Gog Magog could have come out of one of his other books. Or any place in folklore or mythology exactly. or Again, the even reader, the name Gog Magog. The reader gets to paint their own picture of what Gog Magog is. And I'm pretty sure that the well and the eye are somewhere together on the cover of that. So whoever designed, we can go and talk about that. The front of the cover was just, wow. It made so much more sense after. Going back to Shrek, yeah. Donkey could have been looking at that going, Shrek! So yeah, all the words, all the worlds come together. So it's a fairy tale, but it's not a fairy tale. And I think this is important to talk about. A traditional, and we are not doing a literary review here, but a traditional fairy tale is in threes yes there are things that happen where there's an arc to the story there's a person who's unexpected there's a person who gets involved with something then they run into typically three series of things you know goldie bears and the three bears the three little pigs there's a something there and then there's a resolution and typically a moral to the story or a do this don't do that something or other in the end Exactly. So is this a fairy tale? It's definitely a fantasy world that he paints, but it definitely doesn't come in threes. A happy ending, I'll let the reader decide that for him or herself on this one. But there are so many characters that are weaved through here that one story arc does not necessarily depend on the story arc of another character. So we're agreed we're not going to give the spoiler at the end of this. Correct. Okay. That's going to be tough to do, yes, but we're going to do it. We're going to try. Okay. We know it ends with Gog Magog somehow, kind of, but not really. Exactly. Got it. So the fairy tale and the folklore piece of this, as I was reading this one, I found myself going, well, I've read this before. It sounds like The Hobbit. It sounds like some of these other stories. I kept getting stuck in there. Did you? 
Yeah, to a certain extent. I mean, when when he ultimately goes down the well and crosses the portal into a different world, it's like, you know, this is Alice sliding down into the fairy tale world. It's entering into the hobbits and running around with Gollum trying to steal the ring back. But it's not really. The one thing that made it different for me and I kept going back to, and I think this is why it was so important for me to put this on our listeners list. The reason he did it is for a critter. He did not do it for himself. That's right. Radar. Radar. That's right. And anybody who's a MASH fan, and I promise I will quit with the MASH comments, in my mind, Radar forever wears the little round glasses and the little hat. Yes, but in this case, Radar is an absolutely adorable German Shepherd. And as and again, it's not a spoiler alert because, you know, it's just out there. But Radar is a very old dog, and Mr. Bowditch ultimately tells Charlie, the main character in the story, that in dog years, he's 98 years old. Let's stop with the baby talk. <laughs> and poor Radar. I can still see some of the, the movements, the body language from Radar the MASH character to Radar the dog in my head. Yeah, that, that could possibly be. But, because an know, adorable German Shepherd don't always go together for me. Yeah, but in this case, this German Shepherd, I shouldn't say that, as all Shepherds are very dedicated to their owner. And when you know Mr. Bowditch ultimately gets hurt and Charlie comes in to help him out. Radar goes from this, I've heard in the past, this mean, vicious dog that, you know, simply eats you to one of, he's trying to protect his owner, but he also knows his owner is hurt and needs help. So he himself, Radar, the dog, is stuck between these two quandaries. How do I protect what's mine, but how do I also get help for my master that I know is hurt and isn't going to do well? Do you think it was a master or a partner at this point? Well, by this point in the story, I mean, since the two of them have been together for so long, I mean, do the back math at 98 years old, this is a very old shepherd. And so at this point, I think they're probably more partners around for each other rather than one for the other. This story and the 17-year-old boy, Charlie, really starts off in a very different place. It starts off with a really, really awful bridge. And the bridge plays in such a piece to the story, but then it totally disappears. It does. And that was a part that I struggled with at the beginning because the whole introduction, how we get to know Charlie and how we understand that he's in the position that he's in today is because of that bridge. And yet by the end of the story, the bridge doesn't really even matter. When we come back, let's talk about that bridge and radar and how this really plays into critters and companions and the connections between them. Join me, Rayshan Mayer, from Mariah Bellmanor Kennel for our new adventure, Living Life Tales Up podcast, combining everyday life with what goes on at the kennel and farm, a bit of humor, some ideas, and some positive happy bubbles. We're living tails up, nose down, and staying on track. We hope to see you on Living Life Tales Up for five to ten minutes worth of happy, happy bubbles shooting out there in the atmosphere. See you soon. Welcome back to Raising Connections. Today, Tim Mayer and I are talking about the fairy tale Stephen King and how the heck this fits with critters and companions and forces us as readers into different places and how many times those critters and companions have forced us to different places. Oh, so many different times. 
This is not a literary review. So the bridge that we left off with, some people might argue, means a lot of things. It could. I think we've had that conversation before. Well, more than once in our time together. But Radar is the story. So the 17-year-old Charlie Reed, his friend is chased by Radar when they're young. And that's how he gets his reputation as this evil attack dog that'll eat you in one piece. And chasing kids off and the guy who lives at the end of the street who's just not quite right in the old house and stays to himself and you never see him in town. And the nosy neighbors. Well, he's a hermit. So, you know, I mean, think of your classic hermit story. And that's where Mr. Bowditch fits into this crotchety old man that wants to be left alone. What's his is his. You mind your own business and I'll mind mine. Who has a very big penchant for pecan sandies. Yes, he does. And so does Radar. Yeah, well, you know, Radar probably shouldn't be eating that kind of stuff. But in 98 in dog years, why not? So Mr. Bowditch falls. Falls off the ladder, breaks his leg. And Charlie has been through a rough time with losing his mother and essentially losing his father to alcoholism and his father coming back. And Charlie's growing up seeing folks come into his dad's life to help get him through Alcoholics Anonymous back to an area where he's able to be successful again. And Charlie makes a deal. He does make a deal. We won't talk too much about that. But, you know, it's because he made that deal that as he's riding by this old house at the end of the street, he thinks he hears something. So he stops and he listens. Nothing happens. And then all of a sudden he hears the sound again. And then he hears the sound again. So he's, he knows he's got to go through the closed gate, but then there's radar to contend with. He doesn't know it's radar yet, just no, the no, dog. No, but he knows that there's a mean German shepherd back there that he may have to contend with. So he's trying to figure out how he's going to do this. The, the gate doesn't cooperate with him, and he's scared he's making too much noise, which will you know, ultimately alert the dog that something's going on. But he ultimately makes it to the back of the house where he sees Mr. Bowditch on the ground with obviously a very broken leg and a concerned dog laying next to him. Right. And not the mean, aggressive dog that he remembered in his youth, but a more subdued, yet really trying to protect his owner with everything he had. Exactly. And it was actually the whimpering that is what ultimately Charlie heard because radar starts making that sound again. So he very quickly realizes that it's the dog whimpering because he obviously can't help his master, but yet he doesn't know what to do. So he sits there and has a lot of good companion dogs do, very concerned about who they're with. So Charlie is 17. And you see him in his senior year in high school. He and his dad have talked about where he's going, what colleges, the football, the baseball, the coaches, the involvements, all the things that happens typically in a senior year of high school and the decision points that are coming. And Charlie, because of hearing this, starts off on a very different path of events than he would have had he maintained the quote unquote normal path that he was on. Well, exactly. Obviously, he calls 911. They get the ambulance there and Mr. Bowditch is off the hospital to be taken care of. But there's this old dog that needs to be taken care of as well. So Charlie takes it upon himself to take care of this dog. And, you know, in doing that, he ultimately, he's not showing up for baseball practices. He's going to school, but he's not doing the extracurricular activities. And, you know, people start taking note of that. And, you know, ultimately, as the story progresses and and time passes, they're changing the seasons and all of a sudden football practice is getting ready to start and he tells his coach i'm not playing this year it was a baseball 
it was no, a sport. Okay. It started off with baseball and then it switched over to football. And he goes, I'm not playing football this year. So, you know, inside, I think it was the first three games of the season, their school lost all of them. So now he starts getting a stink eye from all of his friends. No one's talking to him because, you know, everyone believes that he just let down everybody. But in Charlie's mind, he's taking care of this very old dog. And also by this point, he's taking care of Mr. Bowditch, who's home from the hospital, but can't take care of himself. And I'm not going to spoiler alert, but there's a lot of reasons for him doing this. And you see the change in the personality and you see the father in getting involved and saying, let's get some PR because you're going to need to go to college. You're going to need these things. And then things start happening because most Mr. Bowditch and Radar need things. And he meets characters and does things. There's gold involved and where and how he sells gold. And this Mr. Ha 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 who comes along and crossing borders between the portal and this real world, which could almost be youth and adulthood. It could be. I mean, that's definitely one way to look at it. But Charlie was dragged into a much deeper place than what he was before. You know, 17 year old jock essentially at school. And, you know, obviously his team depended on him because they, without him, they lost all their games. But as a character himself, he grew tremendously in the amount of compassion that he shared. You know, again, Radar ends up in a not good place. He's very old. And at certain points, Charlie has to help Radar up and down the steps. He's either guiding his hindquarters or he's actually got to pick the dog up because the dog can't transition the port steps in and out of the house. So he can go in and out and do his business. He takes the dogs for walks and then all of a sudden the dog can't do that. And, you know, the, the dog has its favorite, I think it's a stuffed monkey or something like that, that they play catch with for hours on end. But, you know, as the dog's health starts going downhill, that changes. And you could see the changes in the dog ultimately affecting the way Charlie chooses to do things. And it really comes into play with the transition from I'm doing this for Mr. Bowditch to I'm doing this because of the dog. Yes and no. I still think that he's got a soft spot for Mr. Bowditch. And I think mainly that developed because he saw how Mr. Bowditch treated the dog. And again, you know, this went back to something you said before. Is it one dominant over the other or are they more partners? And I think what Charlie saw were two things that were really dependent on each other. And I think that colored a lot of how he viewed Mr. Bowditch. So Charlie gets out of his comfort zone. He ends up going through a series of events, going down the portal and into this different world. With radar. For radar. Essentially for radar. And he faces all the normal scary stuff you would see going down these steps. And you see all the folklore that we talked about in the beginning. The lady with the shoes and the gray and the sun and the poppies. And the beginning past that and the rule of three, the three princesses, the folks you meet on the journey through. But his ultimate goal is to get Radar to a sundial. Yes. And that sundial goes backwards. Well, it goes in both directions. So you have to be very careful which way you turn it. But, you know, essentially that's what Mr. Bowditch gave him a challenge. And he said it was completely up to him whether he accepted it or not. And obviously because of his feelings for Radar, he didn't even think about it. He just leaped into action before common sense (laughs) prevailed. Something only youth can do sometimes. Something only youth can do. But he ultimately gets radar on that sundial. And 
at the bitter end, Radar really only has very, very little time left. He's got to carry him a long way. They end up on a bike with a cart and a basket that's being towed. So, you know, that the dog's in pretty bad shape by a certain point in the book. But Charlie has to actually put him onto the sundial because the dog can't even step onto it on his own. He's in such bad shape. And the partnership that Charlie and Radar develop gets them to the point because they have to really work together. They do. And the training that the dog has and the respect and the intuitions all come into play. And for me, one of the things that came out of this was you can never go wrong by training because a well-trained animal or a person who understands what's being asked of them will be more successful to navigate different environments. Exactly. He observes Mr. Bodigin radar enough that he picks up the types of commands that radar responds to and in what tone or inflection you have to use your voice in order to get the elicited response. And so, yeah, the two of them develop an absolutely wonderful partnership. And as they're going through this and Radar is aging, which is pushing Charlie forward, he's going through events that cause him to mature at a rate that he would not have matured at. So going for this sundial is actually maturing this young man very quickly. Yeah, it's an interesting way to look at it. But, you know, it's also they ultimately end up by flipping roles while they're in this fantasy world, because at the, the first part, when they first enter the fantasy world, Radar is very, very much dependent on Charlie for his basic survival and movement. But by the end, by the time that they get through the sundial, you know, they become equals again. And then there's a certain point where Radar ends up by taking care of Charlie. Charlie. And so you could see them morphing. One cares for the other, then they're equal again, then the other cares for the first one. And by the end, they ultimately come back together again. Do you think they're both more mature? This whole journey, in my opinion, is a growing up adventure. Yeah, it is because, you know, Radar's dying of old age and the sundial sets back his years. It puts him back into his youth again. And so I do think that the two of them ultimately grew together. And I think their combined experiences put both of them into a much different place. In the end, there's changes, we're not going to spoil anything, that happened to that portal. And there's a lot of phrases that we now use in our personal life because of this book. Hump, hump, kitties. You know, it's one of those things that move along, little kitties, that we now talk about. And anybody who reads the book will appreciate a hairdryer and how a random thought will make changes that you really need. We promise not to spoil anything. We did, but I'll tell you what, Stephen King and his choice of words are just hilarious. Moving forward, in the very end of this book, you see Charlie as a middle-aged man. Yeah, but you also see Radar as a very old dog again. And Charlie has the knowledge to take Radar back, but yet he's also closed some things in his life that he doesn't want to go back through again. Exactly. Very much so. Do you think that is a statement about, I don't want to do it again? Or is it a statement about, I don't need this anymore? Well, again, without giving too much away, you said it at the beginning. I mean, that we know that Charlie's mom died due to a series of events surrounding a, a certain bridge, and his dad ended up in a very deep and dark place. Again, it's, it's almost paralleling the world that Charlie ended up in because it was very deep and dark 
down there and you know it was almost like a living hell if you will so i think he matured to a point where he could actually put the past behind him and actually get on the sundial going in the correct direction at, at a certain point, right? His his life was no longer about what's behind me and what could have been. His life is now morphed into what's in front of me and where am I going? And do you think that transition would have happened without the connection that he and Radar made? No, because Radar was as much of a companion to Charlie as what he was to Mr. Bowditch. And I think in the absence of the connection, the companionship that the two of them shared through this experience, and the fact that he had to be caregiver for something that was totally 100% dependent on him, but then he ultimately ended up by becoming very dependent on that very same companion later on in the story, I think changed his whole view and his whole outlook on life. So in the absence of the companionship, Charlie probably would not have been in the same position that he was in. So if you were to give somebody this book for Christmas this year, or New Year's, or Hanukkah, or what Easter, whatever this holiday they would pick this book up for, who would you give it to first? A young person, the middle-aged Charlie, or Mr. Bodit? Because dogs can't read. Of course. <laughs> I'd give it to Lady Jane. No, she can't read either. She's our German Shepherd. <laughs> uh, that, that is an absolutely excellent question because I ended up with this book, obviously, Ryan and our daughter. This would have been, what, last year? So she would have been a, a sophomore in college. And she listened to it for entertainment. But I truly want to believe that she pulled something out of it, given her caring and compassionate nature towards horses and, of course, her baby, LJ, and the cat. I truly think she found a connection with Radar. If you pick up this book, you get it for a gift, read it. Hello at RaisingConnections.com. Grab a cup of coffee and join our conversation. Till next time. See you. This episode of Raising Connections was edited and mixed by me, Robin Temple, and produced by Rashan Mayer. We'd like to thank Rashan and her husband, Tim, for reviewing this book, Fairy Tale, by Stephen King. I also was gifted with this book last Christmas. Unlike Rashan, who says she's not a Stephen King fan, I have been probably since the 70s, Rashan says in the beginning that this is not a normal Stephen King book. I beg to differ. The first thing I said to her when we talked about this book is that I thought it was a typical Stephen King book. You have a young protagonist who goes on a quest, encounters all kinds of adventures and horrors along the way, and is ultimately successful. So I highly recommend this book, Fairy Tale by Stephen King. And we'll see you next week.